So church, you may remain standing. We are reading the scriptures right now. And today's scriptures is found in two different uh, passages. The first one's gonna be Leviticus chapter three, verses from one through 11. And it's also found on the Pew Bible at the page number 82. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins. And the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove from the kidneys, with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail, cut off close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the livers that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. And now we're moving to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses from 12 to 24. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, they esteem, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them, all, with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not cringe the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your Holy Spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The word of the Lord. Giving honor to the king who rode into Jerusalem. 2,000 years ago for our salvation. And with thanksgiving for Pastor Gerald, our shepherd and our friend, my friend, and to all the elders who also work together in grace with him to watch over our souls so we can be presented to Christ in perfection. And to all of you, good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning again and for us to share in the Word of God together on this Palm Sunday as we remember our Lord Jesus riding into Jerusalem as we in Lent and prepare ourselves for Resurrection Sunday. Uh, at this time, allow me to pray again and then let's park ourselves in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 23 and 24. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful that the streets will resound with singing. And that the streets will be filled with songs that bring hope, songs that bring your joy. That the dancers who dance will dance upon injustice and it will be no more. Thank you for this great jubilee that is coming. In the meantime, would you please continue to use us to take Jesus' name to the nations, to places where the name of Jesus has never been breathed, where they don't have a shred of the New Testament, where no transworld radio reaches, where they've never met a believer. Please, oh God, use us to carry the gospel to the furthest places and to be found faithful here in the work of the gospel. So bless our time together. Thank you for the song today and for the children. Pour out your spirit upon us now, upon preaching and hearing, so you're glorified in this event. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. A common practice for many after a long day of work is to go to happy hour at a local bar or grill. This is the time of day we get to focus on the good in life, the happy things, after many maybe not so good things occur throughout the workday. Happy hour assumes the longing to shake off the stress of work so that one can rest and relax properly before going home. Even people who enjoy their jobs can look forward to happy hour as the rightful cap to the previous 8 to 12 hours of labor. Once you have the wings, the nachos, a, a few drinks, and some laughs, 
Everything is happy for many. But for others, the happiness sought in the hour seems to elude them, and so therefore their friends must take their keys away from them. For those of us today who are far too holy to even entertain the thought of holding a Coke Zero in hand while sitting with friends at a bar, we still have forms of happy hour. It might be hanging out in the coffee shop or campus lounge after all classes are done before going to dinner or evening activities, homework, and exam prep. It's the time we walk through the door and say, give me a little time to watch the news or to exercise first before I engage. Or it is that period on the ride home in the vehicle in which you listen to your favorite podcast, book, or musical selections to think about something other than your work day or maybe about what you're going to face when you get home. You might even be known for asking your family to quiet down because this is your time and the family should grant this to you. But on some rainy days or hard days at school for one of your children, you just don't get that break. If you are here today, you want more than relaxation from a work day and more than ending a war in Eastern Europe, ending gun violence in Chicago, or ending the conflicts in your marriage or your family. You want peace with God and from God. But try as we might, because of our daily battle with sin and our daily battle for holiness, we cannot conjure a peace that will give us rest and happiness in every aspect of our lives for the rest of our lives. To the Thessalonian church, the Apostle Paul gives hope of such daily rest in the God of peace as God himself brings us into a state of full peace with him. Paul speaks of three things God does to provide peace in this life and the next that should give us hope of finding the peace that we all desire. Here is the first. The God of our peace alone and presently works to make us completely holy. The God of our peace alone and presently works to make us completely holy. I'm in the first clause of verse 23. Paul's words, now may, indicate that we are hearing him pray words of a solemn affirmation. The now draws attention and conclusion to all Paul has said previously, especially immediately before the prayer wish. Paul will ask the God of peace to sanctify the believers. At least four other times in the closing of his writings to the churches, Paul invokes the God of peace, and the writer of Hebrews does the same. For Paul... The term seems to serve as a bookend to his greeting of peace from our Lord Jesus Christ that he gives in all 13 of his writings. 
So having peace as believers is an integral part of the life of the church. It is significant to our individual and corporate Christian formation. We look like Jesus, and Jesus is glorified in us when we are people of peace. The Spirit intends to give us peace. So for Christians, peace is not intended to be elusive. This is something that Paul wants for everyone, and he looks to God to provide it for us, the God of peace. Peace here acts as a synonym for the accomplishment of our salvation. We are headed toward peace, toward eternal happiness, and rest in perfect holiness. This would be in keeping with what God did in the creation on the seventh day when he rested on the seventh day, blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified the seventh day, Genesis 2 tells us. Paul's tie of peace and sanctification recognizes that one cannot finally have peace at, with, or in God if one is not set apart and holy in all of one's ways. So the apostle sees the humanly impossible task of meeting the level of obedience required to obey just the 16 directives he gave in verses 12 through 22, let alone all that he has instructed in 1 Thessalonians, fail at any one of them, and we are not holy. And if we are not holy, we cannot approach God, and we cannot expect him to extend to us his peace. For example, let's consider what Paul says in verses 15 and 22. Paul says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, and abstain from every form of evil. The command of God through Paul for one to be righteous before him is to avoid doing evil in any form, to refrain from repaying anyone for evil, and to do good to both all believers and to all people, to everyone, he says. To do less renders us unholy. You mean, I'm not sanctified if I think evil thoughts, because that is a form of evil. And if I don't seek the good of everyone, I am not sanctified. That's right. So the person you can't stand, you are to seek that one's good, or you are not being like Jesus, for that's what holiness is. We, we are not being set apart to him and being like him. We are not sanctified. We are not holy. The commandment under the Old Covenant and repeated for the church in the New Testament is be holy as I am holy, both in Leviticus 11 and 1 Peter 1. Be set apart because that is who God is and our identity is with him and in him. We strive for holiness because we are seeking a God set apart, distinct, unique, 
uncommon, with no comparable counterpart and no equal. Our God, in speaking of his own holiness through Isaiah the prophet, is the only one who can rightly say, to whom will you compare me? He is the only person who can demand, take off your shoes when you approach me because I make even the ground around me holy. Our God is the only being who rightly has a 24-hour chorus with perfect pitch, perfect harmony, and thundering sound dedicated to him that says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That line plays over and over with an antiphonal or round of singers who follow with, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's get this picture of what's going on in heaven right. You have some singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, while others respond to them, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. You guys get the idea? Do I need to keep doing this? <laughs> holy, set apart, sanctified, Uncommon is at the essence of the God we are serving, the God who saved us. He calls us to be like him with every fiber in our being, every motive, intention, goal, purpose, every act of our wills, every deed, every thought, every word. How do we measure up to this task to please him and do so in love and with grace so that he would be pleased to give us his peace. Again, Paul says, now may God himself. In the Greek text, the construction moves himself to the very front of the clause, indicating emphasis, literally himself now, the God of peace, may he perfectly sanctify you completely. That same clause ends with a word for complete used only here in the New Testament. It's a unique word. For this writer, God himself is the one who sanctifies. Himself does the work of making us holy. The object of holy, 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 who demands that we be holy as he is holy, is the one who takes up the task to make us holy while we are striving and struggling nicely to make holiness our own. The God of peace does this completely, that unique word. It is a word made from two words meaning whole and end. The whole end, the entirety of us, God himself will sanctify and shake off the failures of this present world so that we can have full happiness and rest in him. He will provide the peace of holiness. One of the things the Lord, through Pam's patience, has been helping me to see about myself is the need to pull back my tone when I'm speaking in response to questions she and others ask 
especially when I'm under pressure. See, I'm used to being in situations on my other job where I always must be prepared to justify my statements and my positions. But I don't need to do that at home. So the Lord is giving me grace. Yet at the same time, in my head, I struggle with critically judging people who make mistakes in reasoning or with their tone toward me. So on the one hand, I'm having success with pulling back my tone some. But on the other hand, I am still failing with wrongful thoughts about someone else who is equally frail. The holiness God requires for me to have for his full peace now is nowhere in sight. I'm glad that gaining that holy standard is not up to me finally. Of himself, God, presently and alone, accomplishes all the peace you and I need from him. Second, the God of our peace prepares and preserves us for Christ's return in holiness. He prepares and preserves us for Christ's return in holiness. I'm in the second clause of verse 23. This second clause of Paul's solemn prayer wish continues with a request to and about the God of peace. Paul repeats what he has prayed previously, much of it in 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 11 through 13. Here's what he said back in chapter 3. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints." Here in verse 23, Paul again writes of us being kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The prayer seeks for our whole of our spirit, our soul, and body to be kept blameless. Since the time of the church fathers in the second through the fourth centuries AD, there's been a debate on what Paul means by spirit soul, and body, and whether he is saying that people are made of three parts or if we simply have two parts, a material part and an immaterial or non-bodily part, tripartite versus bipartite. Elsewhere, however, Jesus will speak of us having a heart, soul, strength, and mind, and Paul will identify us as people who need to cleanse ourselves in our body and spirit in 2 Corinthians 7. So it seems better to see Paul's words here as three aspects of human nature, not a statement of tripartite constitution. The apostle simply wishes for a holiness of the outer and inner person. We must have holiness 
inwardly and outwardly in order to please God. The word whole in this clause is a synonym for the word complete back in the first line. In fact, you would recognize this word if I wrote it out for you, and you would see the kinship between the second word and the first word. Remember, the first word is a combination of the word for whole and the word end. But this second word is a combination of whole and a word for lot or part. The first word concerns completeness in its entirety, while the second word refers to the completeness of individual parts. Paul prays and wishes for both. Here's why. The first word would be like you washing your car, vacuuming it, emptying out all the trash, wiping and cleaning all the dust and dirt and prints off the windows where your children have had their fingers or your puppies have had their fingers and all the spills in the car. The second is like you then taking your car to a detailer for the detailer to get the car clean in every crevice. Or the first is us doing it ourselves and going to Home Depot to rent a steam cleaner so that we can clean our own carpets because we don't want to pay someone else to clean it. But then the second is like us calling Stanley Steamer to come behind us and clean the carpets we just cleaned because they can give a deeper clean and a shinier clean to the carpets we already cleaned. This prayer in this verse God, please make me holy down to the very end of my being, is also saying, make the entirety of my spirit and soul and body sanctified before you because both inside of me and outside of me, I need peace. The Lord's work is to keep even the body holy because Paul says, soul, spirit, and body, material and immaterial. God is presently sanctifying our decaying bodies. As one writer said, quote, this God can take even a man who is broken in body and soul and make of him a new whole person and preserve him as such, unquote. Works of the body are important to God, as Pastor Johnny said so eloquently a few weeks ago in one of his sermons. How can my body be kept blameless from sin when my body is the tool that the remnants of my natural person use to get me to perform sin? We sin because we are born in the likeness of Adam, not because we have these bodies. Romans 5 is quite clear that Adam acted as the head, the federal head of the human race, bringing sin and death into the world in such a way that we follow our federal head into sin and into eternal death. It is my nature like Adam that makes me a sinner and makes me sinful. But I carry out the acts of my sin with my brain, my ears, my eyes, my hand, my mouth, the emotional impulses of my heart and with the parts of my body that Adam and Eve covered with fig leaves. I suspect that some way, in some way, 
I'm not blameless in body each day by the time I start into my second mug of tea or I'm on my second diet do. The do and the tea, they're neutral, but my reliance on them might not be completely sinless. So much for holiness in my body. Even for those among us who have broken this year's New Year's resolutions and now you need to get back to the gym in time to get that great outdoor summer body, they, you, cannot achieve complete holiness and blamelessness in your body. You know, we do this resolution cycle every year or every other year until we get into our 50s. And once we get into our 50s, we say to ourselves, I'm tired of fighting so hard with gravity just so people won't have something to hold over me or see something wrong with me. You're not there yet if you're not 50. You're not there yet. At some point, we have to take care of our bodies simply because it is wise or because the doctor says so or because your job requires it. And not because you have a mother-in-law who would love to greet you with, you look like you've gained some weight. <laughs> have you put on a few pounds? Been there. You have to stop being motivated to recover your prom or wedding body because everyone around you with faster metabolisms can still fit into clothes many sizes smaller than you as you all signal with your salads and your $5 coffees that thinness is next to godliness. You know thinness is next to godliness, right? Yeah, right. You don't even like salad that much. But your eating of it is proof of the struggle to bring about perfection or holiness in our bodies. We cannot get rid of sin completely in this life. Neither can we completely get rid of the failures we have in our bodies. We can eat healthier, eat less, stop eating earlier in the evening, exercise three or more times per week, get more sleep, stretch, Take the meds or herbs or oils and vitamins and use skin treatments. We can be faithful stewards at beating our bodies into subjection against sinful temptations, but we cannot make bodies in the likeness of Adam completely holy. Yet the hope is that when Christ returns, we will have a transformed body one no longer broken, no longer ravaged by sin, no longer sustained or strengthened by therapies, medicines, eyewear, or earwear, no longer strengthened by surgeries, massages, ice baths, or that noisy, uncomfortable, durable equipment presently keeping you alive by grace and slowing your date with death. Instead, we will get bodies that can stand in the very presence of a completely holy God. We will behold him face to face and receive all of his love and holiness and peace for all eternity as his peace makes it so that every bodily failure will be remembered no more. Every crick, tear, 
pain, every mind and heart worn down by poor choices, yours or others, every scar from fighting, risk-taking, or abuse, every unexplained loss that bore a hole in our heart and in our souls, the stuff that we try to avoid talking about and remembering if we can, all of that will be gone when Christ comes and sanctifies every part of us down to the very last nook of spirit, soul, and body. God of peace, faithfully and successfully, will sanctify us as holy. He, faithfully and successfully, will sanctify us as holy in verse 24. Verse 24 has in it the one who calls, referring to our summoning to salvation from all eternity past. Presently, God continues that summons to us toward complete salvation. He continues to call us upward unto our final salvation. Like the word himself back in verse 23, faithful is in the front of the clause of the Greek text, again indicating emphasis as reflected if you have a King James version in front of you. King James says, faithful is he who calls you rather than what we're reading, the one who calls you is faithful. It's trying to reflect the order of the sentence in the original text, faithful trustworthy, dependable, reliable in all he does, God will make us completely holy. He will bring about holiness in our bodies and in our soul and in our spirit because he is the one who called us to salvation in Christ. He, therefore, is the one responsible for the completion of our salvation in Christ in holiness. The God of peace will bring about complete peace in all of us. This is an incredible prayer. It keeps pointing us to the faithfulness of God. It doesn't tell us to do anything because it is asking God to do the work for us, but it does allow us to respond in worship. What a prayer we can have this week. Lord, find me blameless when you come. Thank you for making my blamelessness rest on Jesus even when my soul has blame, even when my body is not sanctified. What a way to look at our task in our families. Lord, make our family to be found blameless in your sight. Make me a blameless husband, a blameless wife, a blameless parent or child or sibling. Thank you that even when I don't get it right as a parent, thank you that even when I don't get it right as a husband, I still will be blameless because Jesus is yet sanctifying me. In his commentary on 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the late D. Edmund Hebert notes that the word blameless in verse 23 is a word that means so that there is no cause for censure, a condition where no just cause for complaint can be raised. No just cause for complaint can be raised. 
It is the same word that is used in Leviticus chapter 3 that Christiani read for us earlier. It is in Leviticus 3 as the words without blemish when referring to the peace offering. The worshiper who wanted to be at peace with God under the old covenant so that his or her life would be blessed would bring an offering from the flock or from the herd that was blameless. It could have no broken bones, no spots on his body, no sickness therein. It was blameless or without blemish. Instead of the worshiper losing his or her life for being at enmity with God by sin or to praise the Lord for being at this peace, this offering, this blameless offering, the priest would take and kill and splatter the blood on the altar and give the body without the entrails as a food offering to the Lord. The blameless offering, its blood, its sacrifice would come take the place of the one with the blame. Archaeologists have found sepulchers in Thessalonica dating to about A.D. 50 with this word for blameless engraved on them. It means that there were those in Thessalonica who understood what death meant for them. They were going to meet God, and the only thing that mattered is that he would be faithful to make them blameless so that they could behold him face to face as those without cause for complaint and then enjoy his happiness and rest forever. May I appeal to you who do try to drown away the hard points of this life in the bottle or with gambling or with acquisition of knowledge, or web surfing, extreme sports, or in just good old-fashioned friends with benefits relationships. I appeal to you, believer and unbeliever alike, please hear me. If the peace you want seems to be escaping you, don't go to your forms of finding peace. Please come learn of Christ, the God of peace. Please place your faith in him and stop running from him to make your own solutions for peace because you are tired of waiting on God. I've prayed, I've tried, I've done everything the saints ask, and God has not changed my situation. I'm going to make my own solution. Don't do that because you will not find true peace apart from the holiness peace that is found in Christ. Please come talk to me or someone up front with me after this service so we can talk to you about how to have God's peace. Well, what a passage for Palm Sunday. Why this one? Well, the tie to Palm Sunday is in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The original coming of the Messiah to establish peace and the eternal happy hour happened on the original Palm Sunday. When Jesus came into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey, he did so as the one fulfilling Jacob's words to Israel in Genesis 49, 10, and 11. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet 
until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Matthew, understanding this from Genesis 49, writes of Jesus' Palm Sunday entrance in Matthew 21, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. But the peace that should have appeared with the coming of the Messiah did not appear as his own continued to reject him, and they did not receive him. Instead of accepting the offer of peace, they became upset about him turning over tables of the money changers as he cleansed the temple of robbers. In opposition to receiving the peace of the Messiah, they said, release Barabbas, and we have no king but Caesar. When peace could have been theirs, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. So the king of peace went to a cross, and the prince of peace was hung in our place. And he who is our peace satisfied God's wrath against sin for us, even when our sins rejected and delayed the coming of his peace. And he who is life and peace met death in the grave and said, you are out of a job as it concerns my people. And that one who will bring final peace to all rose on the third day with all power in his hands, including the power to give us peace day to day in this life. And unlike the original coming on Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes this time, when Jesus comes soon, when Jesus comes next time in the second advent of himself, Surely, he will give to us the full experience of peace that only those he has sanctified completely in soul, spirit, and body can share. And on our graves and on our new bodies will be inscribed blameless. Because Jesus is the God of our peace. And he will bring us happy rest now and forever. Father, we thank you for the grace that is ours in Christ. That we will be found blameless. Because Christ is keeping us blamelessly as the God who provides us peace. Thank you that when we fail, your holiness is still there. Thank you that when we mess up, that when we don't have the power to do what our roles require us to do, when we have doubts, when we're disillusioned, God, when it, we're tempted even, even maybe to walk away from the church and the faith, that Christ is there, being the God of peace for us, renewing and restoring our hope 
reminding us of the promise that you love us, and you will see your face. So bless now your people and give us grace and peace, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.